Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Miles. The Building Excellence Podcast is all about sharing inspiring stories from some of the most successful athletes, coaches, business minds, and thought leaders to help you build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. We hope this show provides you with tremendous value. If you find the show impactful, please share with a friend and on social media, as well as subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Now let's get to the show and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. So you, you wound up going into private practice. And, you know, the context of this, too, and family backstories, your uncle was mayor. Right. Correct? Right, right. So you've been around politics. And had you seen that and thought, you know what, it would be fun to be mayor one day? Or was it just kind of a progression of like, you know what, I'd like to actually serve in that capacity after having some some service within being a DA and being around the attorney general and things like that. I think that um, a, a pretty strong percentage of people that go to law school um, want to be in politics in some way. And that's why you see so many lawyers. And you have at least, I think that trend is kind of changing, but as I was growing up, it was very common for most lawyers to get into some sort of politics in some way whether it was supporting particular candidates or judges or whatever, um, but you'd see them and they're involved. And, or you'd find out. If you look at today at the United States Senate, a lot of these older guys, sometimes you think maybe they need to be senators even more now. <laughs> but even, even in the younger ones too, you, you start to look at their resume uh-huh. and you'll almost always find that they're lawyers. Yeah. And they were always like prosecutors back in 1943, <laughs> you know, or whatever. But, I mean, it's amazing that that interest in politics. So, I mean, yes, there were, my dad was not in politics, but my Uncle Bob was. So he was street commissioner, then mayor, all through my middle school and high school years. So, yes, you know, I always observed that, knew about that, was part of that to some degree. I didn't work on his campaigns or anything like that, but... Politics and my dad was pretty interested in politics, even though he wasn't a candidate. So yeah, I grew up with a lot of politics and interest in politics mm-hmm. nationally, more so even than locally. You know, um, so I had that, and I always had an interest in politics and history. What is history? What's American history? And what eighty percent of it's politics. You know, Abraham Lincoln. You know, it's just yeah. political things. And um, and I always liked military history. I was really huge on that. I loved that, um, and I had a great interest in that as well. But politically, um, I just always had an interest in politics. So when I went to private practice, I was making good money, more than I'd ever made, and um, things looked pretty good, you know, as a partner there at that firm. I'd gone there to become a zoning czar in Tulsa. Really? Because there's only two or three lawyers in town that were um, that all the corporations and everybody would go to for zoning. And it's a very much of a science. Mm-hmm. And um, a, a specialized science on how to handle those cases with the Board of Adjustment and Planning Commission. And not really the most exciting thing for a lot of people either. But Charles Norman at the time was, of Norman Wilgermith, was these are. And it was actually my idea to actually kind of approach them, they approached me. And that was the concept of me taking over that practice. And it was happening. Mm-hmm. It was happening. So he could retire because he was a little older at the time. And um, 
so what happened was the mayor of Tulsa, um, Susan Savage, first female mayor had been, and the longest, I think, running mayor ever to this day, she'd been mayor 10 years. And so like a year out of the next election, she announced she was not going to run again. So of course the whole town blew up in terms of, you know, mayor, and then, and, I, and then I started getting the calls and you ought to run, you ought to run. Mm-hmm. And uh, as Charles Norman told me the day I told him that I would, thought I might run, he's like, because he was not political at all. Yeah. <laughs> he was a lawyer's lawyer and a very well-respected man. And I uh, hated it, breaking news. There was a long walk down the hallway that day. You know, this again, these are all these life challenges, and that was no fun. Yeah. You got to do it. I mean, mm-hmm. are you serious? You're going to do it? And you need to go tell your boss, I'm going to do this, and here's why. And it's not out of disrespect for you at all. It's just, but he said to me, he goes, you got that political bug in you, and it always pops up. And yeah, I guess you have a hard time putting it back down. You know, it's like, yeah, I think you're right, Charles. And so that was the end of the day there. But they were great to me. That law firm kept me on as a partner. You know, we had a base salary for partners. And, and I can't tell you I was bringing in the billable hours I should have been because I was running for mayor. Yeah. But we had a big field. I mean, we had uh, nine, ten or more Republican candidates. Um, and it was time for a Republican, and it was nothing against Susan Savage or the Democratic Party at all. It was just that, you know, that's the way I think politics really does work. I think the, I think citizens really like to see a change in party at top, at the top, executive offices. Um, and even in Congress and the legislature, I think they, mm-hmm. they like that. And you see that. You know, you see a Democrat president or a Republican president in there for eight years, and then it pops over to the other party's president. And I think that's, I think it's a, the voters are really make that choice. They don't want to see the same party in power for a long time. And that's just my take. Mm-hmm. This is my personal opinion. It's based sure. on data and research. Yeah. But my take is the city was ready for a Republican mayor, so it was a good timing, too, to run as Republican in Tulsa. Um, and so, but it, because it was an open seat, there was a big field. And yeah. there was, uh, I won't I can say names, except maybe one, um, Carlton Pearson. So I got to run against Bishop Carlton Pearson because okay. he threw his name in the hat. But there were some other Republican um, operatives, so to speak, for lack of a better word, guys that had really been the party and really doing, and I hadn't, I've been practicing level at a, law at a high level. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, not really involved in politics in the Republican Party in any way, shape, or form. Well, actually, I'd been doing some things. I really had. I'd been some committee things for the Republican Party, you know, platform committees and things like that, just yeah. to get to know Helping people. Out, yeah. yeah, but not like some of these other guys had. These other guys had been, one was a former candidate for mayor, and okay. running against Susan Savage, and then kind of felt like he was the guy that um, should get it. And so it was a really spirited fun primary in a way. And I think one of your questions in your prep was, you know, what are the good things or bad things about running for office? Because that was my first run. I've been appointed to everything else. Mm-hmm. So this is my first, like, running for office. And, and yes, it is a, it is quite a um, process. It is, you know, and I admire, I, I'll say this all the time to anyone, it is, I admire anyone that runs for office. Your grandfather ran for office once a city councilor. Oh, did he really? Grandfather Jim. Oh, really? Yes, he did, Grandpa Jim. 
Um, yeah, he ran for city council. He didn't win. No, he did not. <laughs> it was a big field. Yeah. It was. It was a big field at the time. Okay. But anyway, since so it was mine. But uh, it's like the hardest work you'll ever do. And it's 24-7. It's all-consuming if you really want to win. Yeah. I mean, if you're just doing it half, um, you know, baked, you won't. It won't, you won't be successful, but if you really want to win, you're going to do everything you can to get every vote you can in every ethical, legitimate way you can, mm-hmm. which is getting out and going to every event, going to everything you can, meeting every person you can. You know, uh, it was always good for me to go to the senior centers and see people there because um, you learn things about um, like that those places have their own precincts. Really? Yeah. Wow. They just walk down the hall and vote. Yeah. So you don't want to miss that. Yeah. yeah. And then, as you well know, and most people know, at least traditionally, it can be changing these days. But over the times I was running, I'll still be running. I'll be running again for judge. But, um, you know, it, it's important to, there's all sorts of um, work that has to be done. And you meet every kind of person you'll ever want to meet. And, um, and that is rewarding. To me, the kids are rewarding. You know, I, I love kids, and you know, particularly when I became mayor later, you know, just kids that come up to you a quick trip or wherever and, and want your autograph. Yeah, you know, <laughs> things like that are pretty neat. Yeah. So there's some real positives that way. But running for office, the pros are um, you really get to see America and Tulsa wherever you're running. You really get to see the people mm-hmm. that you wouldn't otherwise. Because you're going to meet everybody. Because you're going to go to every... In Tulsa, you're going to go to North Tulsa, West Tulsa, East Tulsa, South Tulsa. You're going to work everywhere and go to every uh, picnic and every parade. And what happens there is you meet all these people you would never have otherwise met. Mm-hmm. And a lot of good people. And some people that are they're good, but... Politics attracts that. Yeah. And it does. And yeah. it's okay. Because they're still very interesting people. Yeah. <laughs> and of course you meet a lot of strong opinion people. Yes, yes. And a lot of people that aren't always happy with what you're gonna do or say and that kinda of gets back into what we talked about a little bit. You just well you really haven't talked about. The um, inability anywhere in life to please everybody. Yeah. Well let's talk you about that. Do. Let's get into that real quick. Because when you run for Political office, <laughs> you know, at the very minimum, 50% particular are always unhappy with you. Maybe 50% are happy with you. So there's always going to be a good majority of people that are going to be unhappy with the decision right. or thoughts that you have towards something. You know, how did you deal with that? And were there things that, you know, people said that early on or even after you've been in it for a long time mm-hmm. that were, you know, particularly hurtful? But how do you adjust through that period of, of listening to those things and keep moving forward in the right direction and not let it really uh, mess with you too much? Well, when you're really in the fire as an office holder or even a candidate, when you're really in the fire, you do have to turn to your faith. I mean, you do. You just have mm-hmm. to. And you got to turn to prayer. I mean, I, I um, you know, when you run for office, you're going to meet a lot of pastors and, and you go to different churches and things. And as a cradle Catholic, growing up as a Catholic boy, that was really a great experience for me, actually, um, to see so many different wonderful churches and how many there are in Tulsa. Um, I know one of our former mayors used to talk about he went to every, every, every church in North Tulsa, you know, and 180 of them or what, 200 of them. Or, 
you know, we did too. Yeah. You do, because that's what you do as mayor. You go out, you go to people's churches and places of worship and get to know them that way. But, um, so that's the number one thing in terms of you got to have, I think, some way to go to a private place and be able to pray and be able to get some strength that way. Exercise, I think, is another way to clear your mind and get uh, good thoughts going about what you should do or shouldn't do in a given situation. I was a big jogger. Uh, I played basketball, like we talked about, two, three, three last week. When I wouldn't play basketball, I was running. And uh, never was a, like a marathoner or even a half marathoner. But I ran Tulsa Run several times, but that was it. What is that? You know, nine miles. Yeah. And that's as much as I ever pushed myself. And that was hard. But I was a regular 5K guy every day, just about three miles. It was something that I mm-hmm. found as a good workout. But during those, I was telling somebody about this just the other day. During those times, my mind was um, cleared because you're by yourself. Even listening to music on your headphones or whatever, now you're bots. Yeah. And uh, back then it was long headphones <laughs> and maybe a Walkman, cassette <laughs> Walkman. But it was the best time for me for speech to think about what I was going to say, maybe even that afternoon if I was running at work at lunch. And, you know, it just really helped me answer questions that I otherwise couldn't answer to get that time alone. So that's one way to deal with it. Faith, prayer, working out and staying fit and clearing your mind through working out and that private time as well. I guess it all kind of goes back to private time when you really think. Yeah. Where not everybody's coming at you like they do as mayor or whatever. Um, and even as judge, you know, that happens. It has as presiding judge for sure. But I, that and, and then what people say or don't say, okay. So when people talk about you, like I said earlier, you're either going to understand that that's just the nature of the beast. It is. Um, but untruths, you know, untruths are hurtful. And um, criticism just because somebody doesn't like you is hurtful. But you got to take it. Mm-hmm. You know, don't get in the fire. Part of it, yeah. Yeah. Just don't even get in there because it's going to happen and today's worse than it's ever been. Yeah. It is. And so um, I, it's, I hope it doesn't dissuade, dissuade young people of all walks of life, all colors, all creeds, uh, all faiths from running for office. Because I think it is great to have great diversity in office. Mm-hmm. And um, with different opinions coming from different backgrounds. So, so with everything we talked about with my background, that's just one background. Mm-hmm. And it's so much better to have that plugged in with about 10 other backgrounds and everybody working together yeah. with different backgrounds to one solution. Yeah. So what were some of the of your favorite experiences in your time as mayor of Tulsa? Oh, gosh. I mean, uh, I, we could, this could be a, its own podcast, I'm sure. But, yeah, right, right. Yeah. You know, it could be. I, Which no maybe doubt a, that, a, few, a few that were really fun for you and just fun to be able to help the city of Tulsa in certain ways. Yeah. Well, I think the Vision 2025 program, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, without beating it, to death, um, it, it is. It was. Um, I was coming in at a time when there'd been at least two, at least two, maybe three, unsuccessful votes to build something big, whether mostly an arena. Um, and everybody in Tulsa felt like we had to have it. And I also came in at a time when um, <clears throat> the economy was terrible, and um, there were 
had really bad layoffs. It was right after 9-11. Mm-hmm. So, excuse <coughs> me, when I um, came in in 2001, when I was running for office, Tulsa had, see, the city of Tulsa runs on sales taxes. And the city had uh, just had the PGA or the U.S. Open, one or the other. Yeah. And the sales tax went straight up, spiked wonderfully. And then, you know, every month thereafter, it started going like that. Straight down. This is because of the post-9-11, the economy was bad. And we were, and then the tech, there was a tech uh, burst or bubble burst mm-hmm. in Tulsa. And then there was a lot of jobs at MCI and others that were a lot, really high-paying value jobs. So it was a bad time economically. So you have these failures, you got bad economics going on, and everybody's like, not the time to do anything like this. But, yeah. you know. But everybody knew we needed it. And then I think Oklahoma City was a driver, watching Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. Was a driver because they had built an arena and they were just really, they'd done their um, Bricktown development. And everybody kept saying, how come they're, they're done, they're really this and that does. But it wasn't just Oklahoma City. Was, cities like Wichita that were starting to leave us in the dust and then you know I just don't think we can have that we need to be competitive with our other cities our size or better not just competitive better so I really I just believed in my heart that that was the right thing to do now as a Republican taxes are not on, on top of the list for those guys <laughs> it's the bottom of the list yeah. and you can ruin your political career doing something like that but you know, I always, not that anybody ever listened to me, but the truth of the matter was all of the money that was generated by that uh, Vision 2025 was for bricks and mortar. It was all for infrastructure, real infrastructure, mm-hmm. not the infrastructure we're arguing about today. It was really bricks and mortar. It wasn't new government programs. It wasn't new government employees. In fact, most of the facilities we, had, we have uh, privately managed by my direction and so um, I just felt like it, but there was a lot of Republicans that didn't want to be part of it but the city was ready it was so ready for something big and good to happen mm-hmm. so putting together the campaign was a real challenge because we knew the arena was something that was really a flashpoint for negativity and um, that's why it would gone down before two or three times so we put together the package. We got OU involved, OSU involved, TCC involved, uh, Langston involved, all the higher ed and Tulsa involved, and TPS involved as well. And um, we couldn't do anything for the private schools. They all got kind of mad at me because they didn't know why they could cash everybody else. Well, why are we included in all this? You know, yeah. Because you're private. Yeah. Because they're public funds and they're for public purposes. And it's illegal, yeah. quite frankly. Now, there were some things that we partnered our money with, with private, uh, private-public partnerships um, that happened. But mainly, it was, you know, OSU got a brand new engineering building, the Helmut building. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got the BOK Center. Uh, OU got their big clinic at 41st. Um, and uh, Langston got a brand new beautiful building. You go drive all again and see that. Um, TCC got a big beautiful building. All things they needed, but every... Town and county, Owasso, Glenpool, Bixby, Broken Arrow, all of them, they all got things they needed that they couldn't have otherwise gotten. So everybody came together. Mm-hmm. And that's why all of it passed by 60% or better. Yeah. And then we did everything. We That's another key in politics. You know, you, you're going to ask the citizens for their money. Um, you better follow through. And you better build what you said you're going to build. And we did. 
And just, I don't know if I've ever heard a single complaint from anybody anywhere that all the things that were promised were not built built efficiently and built well. Mm-hmm. So, that, I mean, that was 2025, and that was really the funnest day of my four years was the night of that election. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what a past big. Yeah. It really was. I mean, we had a little uh, a to-do out at the um, fairgrounds because it was a city county. You know, that was a county tax. And that's okay because we all knew the allocations or the, well, they were going to happen. But um, it was a really great example of city county governments working together. And it, I don't think it's ever happened like that. I don't think it, it had ever happened before. I don't think it's ever happened since. Mm. Yeah, and, and to look back... Um, what year was this again? So that, that was, um, I got elected 2002, <clears throat> and uh, we, we took a whole year of community involvement and, and input. We had a citizens committee, we had neighborhood associations, well, I mean, everybody was on board, mm-hmm. but it took a year to build it. Now, a lot of people were very impatient, you know, the, on the business side, they wanted tomorrow. Yes, yeah. And I had to keep telling them, or happened yesterday, and I had to keep telling them, no, you know, we're going to do this right. Mm-hmm. Because I think we've rushed the other ones. And um, this is more than just an arena. Uh, um, but we put the arena, we did a, the package in four votes. So it was four propositions. And um, we put OU and OSU and TCC in the one with the arena. And so yeah, we figured that there's yeah. going to be some constituencies there <laughs> that will want to buy, that will want to vote for uh, improvements to their universities. Well, it's really cool because, uh, you know, when that passed, obviously... I don't know what year the arena actually got finished. Was it 06. 06? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. to see the growth, if you were to look at a picture of downtown Tulsa. Right. Or maybe it was then, later. It was a few years later. I'm sorry. Yeah. When I left in 06, it was still in construction. Okay. So like was, 2009, I think. Yeah. Maybe, or maybe seven. Yeah. But maybe seven or eight. I was, it was, I was invited to that. But it's amazing to look at a picture of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's good. Uh, downtown <laughs> Tulsa. And to see it then yeah. versus see it now. Right. You know, it's 2021 at the moment we're talking right now. You know, you have Vision 2025. And to see, to have something of that magnitude happen and to see the growth that's occurred and to see how Tulsa has transformed uh, for the better. You know, it's tremendously growing. People come because they actually would want to come to vacation and see things here in Tulsa. Right. right. You know, not just because, you know. Well, when the ballpark, the driller's park was built down to other end of downtown, um, from the mayor after me, and I thought it was a fabulous idea. And it, I mean, that's really turned out because it's kind of that bookend mm-hmm. idea, the arena down here and this down here. The arena, and, and, you know, and what you've seen happen around that ballpark is incredible. It's a little harder around the arena just because of the federal courthouse, which is always something we always try to say, what can we do here, you know? But, so it's a little more um, isolated over there, but to see the vast bank building and Everything else that's going on everywhere in that ballpark is incredible. I mean, I haven't been down there myself for a few months, and I went down um, for lunch at the new uh, restaurant at the top of that building, and um, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. What's going on down there? And it's incredible. Right. But to, to be able to you know, have a hand in, in kind of creating that vision and get people to buy in, I mean, what a cool experience. I mean, it it's cool to look back and, and, and see now that you were, you know, the catalyst, big catalyst behind making that happen. Well, it's it very... It was exciting. You know, it was a real team effort. Again, it gets back to teamwork. Yes, absolutely. It was unbelievable teamwork. And I mean, to get something like that, that magnitude, yeah. for everyone to buy in and get on a, a team uh, level of 
pitching the vision, making exactly, it happen. Exactly, man. That's, that's very, very challenging. So you hit that right on the head. It was everybody pitching in and everybody getting out. To, to share the vision with the, the people that were going to matter, which are the citizens. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we hit the road locally. Yeah. I mean, we went everywhere. And it was like one group of us had a PowerPoint presentation we could put up, you know, and then the other group had this and that. And there was really four or five people that had a little, their own little group and their own little presentation. And uh-huh. they went everywhere around town, the library, wherever they could go to. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was fun in a way. The thing about this, I just thought about this, how... In a sense, you know, back when you made all those calls to yeah. get the job, that's what you're kind of doing all the time. You're, you're going pitching the idea, you're out, you're doing it constantly and consistently and with persistence, and you're just trying to make it happen. You well, know? And that's true, you know, I think in life, throughout life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I found myself doing the same exact thing this last year with the county who had received all the CARES money, and they're still getting it. And so for the courts, who are the major tenant of the county courthouse. You know, people realize that Tulsa County is, owns the building, they run the building, they manage the building, they're landlords. We're tenants. Now, we're the only tenant, really. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, but that is the legal yeah. relationship. And so when they got all the money from, from the CARES Act, and then the second one that happened in December of last year, um, and there's been a third, I guess, since then, but... Um, there was still they received a certain amount of money and everybody could apply for it that had a COVID related need. Mm-hmm. Of course, we did, and we've been able to um, get all the brand new technology in all the courtrooms. Um, we've been able to restructure and reconfigure courtrooms. <coughs> but I found myself having to make have the same persistence with the county commissioners. Not that they didn't want to help us. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you got to make your case. Yeah. I mean, why do you want $3 million? I mean, you're not just going to say, give me $3 million. You're going to tell us several things. Yeah. How is it COVID-related? Is this the best bang for the, for the public buck? And um, you need to justify it. How is it related to CDC regulations and, mm-hmm. and, and protocols? So we had to really put together a package, and I had to go present it Yeah. in public, in a public hearing in front of the commissioners. And uh, with the pandemic, there were so many challenges in, in terms of uh, the original, do you close down, do you not? Um, if you don't, how do you operate? Masks, you know, all those things that came yeah. up over time that hadn't been dealt with by me, uh, working with the county commissioners. Mm-hmm. Because I have a whole constituency of citizens and lawyers, you know, for judges, those are who are in front of us every day, mostly. And so there was, it was like everything in COVID. I finally realized after most of the year was coming, winding down a little bit, maybe before that, that yeah. no matter what decision I made on any protocol related to COVID, that 50% of the lawyers were going to like it, 50% of the lawyers weren't going to like it, yeah. just like the national scene and just yeah. like the state scene and just like the city scene. The court scene was no different. Yeah. You know, it just it always kind of split right down the middle. No, that's a good thing. No, that's a terrible thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But hopefully we're working our way out of it. Yeah, so there's always there's always situations where you got to be persistent. You're always going to deal with, you know, some type of challenge or backlash, whatever might happen. You know, one thing I did want to ask about, just from your perspective, because this is something that there's lots of highs. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to be the mayor, to win the mayor spot, to have 2020 pass, all the things that you had to do to help a lot of different people and to really help the city of Tulsa. Because I know you yourself are 
very proud American and mm-hmm. very oh, proud absolutely. Tulsan, right? Oh yeah. So, and, and that's you know that's probably as good as it gets being able to to help uh, your city try True. to catapult to get to its best level it can get to um, in the time that you're there. And obviously, eventually, at some point, that time has to end. Um, and I know that you know going through uh, the next campaign, you know, it didn't work out necessarily in your favor, right? How did that, you know, what was that experience like to maybe not see the outcome that you wanted, but to deal with it and to move into the next chapter of your life? Um, what was that experience like? You know, yeah. What were you going through? No, it's a great question because um, that was definitely a love, no mm-hmm. doubt about it, um, and on, on a number of fronts. Yeah. You know? So it's not just dealing with the loss. Um, it's dealing with everything that kind of went along with it that happened before and during some of it after. But mainly, um, you know, it's hard when you're working. One of the problems in, in being a public office holder and running for re-election is that you have a job. You're working a job. I mean, that's why you're the mayor. You're there to run the city every day and yeah. also on top of that try to bring new business and economic development. And now you got a campaign. Yeah. And it's not just a campaign against just anybody off the street. It's a campaign against somebody who's um, articulate, bright, um, has met a lot of people in town, has gotten to know them, and has a lot of funding. And so you're up against a tough opponent. And so, but you're there like, okay, I can't get to this deal, or I can't make this fundraising call, or I can't do this, mm-hmm. because I'm you gotta doing work. the business of the city. Sure. So that was frustrating, and then that's it's that's a low, but you deal with it because you still have to prioritize that your job is the most important thing to do. And if you do your job, then you should be reelected anyway, you know, typically. So, um, but you know, when it came time for the election, you know, there was just you look back on things, you're able to analyze them better looking back than you are at the time. Yeah. But there was a, it was kind of like, um, what's that word? You know, a perfect storm. There were lots of things that all came together that together they became that force by which I was not reelected. Mm. Any one of them alone would not have done that. Because even with all those things I talked about that I was up against, it still was 5147, and quite frankly, it was more like 5149. There is, there's no such thing as 5147, right? Yeah. There's 2% over here. I don't know yeah. how they do that. But yeah. you know, the final Whatever stats, if you look at sure. them, you're going to see 5147. But it was really 5149. But again, just things happen, too. And I, I, I'll give her credit, too, for the race year hand. And I can't, you know, you should never take away anything from an opponent. Yeah. But there was just, like I said, perfect storm. I mean, the night of the election, there was a, a home invasion and a murder of an elderly couple. I mean, it was on the front page the next morning, mm. top of the fold. Yeah. That's some things people want to see on the way to the vote, you know. Not that the mayor really has... I've been in law enforcement most of my legal career as a DA or an agent, attorney general or a judge. I know all about it. And um, the fact of the matter is there's not much a mayor can do to stop that or cause that. But I think the perception of the public is always going to be... You're the mayor. Yeah. Why is this happening in my city? Sure. This kind of thing should never happen. There had been a murder a couple of weeks before. There had been a gang war the year before. And they never tell you it's impossible to stop that. And there's been much higher murder rates since I've been gone. Much mm-hmm. higher. 
the fact that my successor had one higher than me. You know, he yeah. said I was not law enforcement. She yeah. was, you know, but what are you going to do about it? Yeah. But, you know, it's no fun. No, it, it was definitely a downer. I mean, the night of the election, it's hard to watch your, you know, eighth grade boy, um, your son, you know, who's tearing up yeah. with his buddies who came down to celebrate the victory, you know. Yeah. <laughs> There's no victory. It's pretty tough stuff. Yeah, or to have your so your mother and father come down and the and the paper takes a picture of them with yeah. you. I mean, really. Yeah. But that's a longer story. It is another podcast. Yeah, to, yeah. Uh, how I was treated by the, the local media, but um, but that that's tough. So what do you do? What do you do? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, quite frankly, I was already thrown out of a job for the first time. Uh, my whole career yeah. without one waiting. Yeah. And that and then I had also left a very, very successful legal practice, law practice, uh, to be mayor. And uh, what a lot of people don't know is mayor doesn't the uh, mayor of Tulsa doesn't receive any retirement. Gets health benefits or she. But yeah. there's no um, so you lose out four years of that to serve your city. And so you're kind of sitting there going, hmm you know, really, but I'm a lawyer. So what it comes down to is that's my trade. Yeah. And I had a great law practice, and I'm just going to have to suck it up and build it back up because it's the best option I have right now. Now, did it happen overnight? No. It took me a few months. It really did to just kind of get my mojo going again. Is yeah, that, yeah. Is that the word? Absolutely. Yeah, to get my mojo going again and get my confidence back and, and start being who I've always been. And um, practicing law again, and I got I put together kind of a combination of work with OU Tulsa. Does a work with them consulting type work. I did. Um, I got my some of my big clients back, um, Lamar Outdoor and, and Waste Management, some other clients, corporate clients. Then mm-hmm. I started doing my zoning again because there's just a, was that was the whole reason I started to do that originally was yeah. there's just not that many lawyers in town that know how to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I came back into that business and started picking up that business again. And yeah, which but I built my practice back up. Yeah, which right there is another lesson in itself where it's finding a niche, maybe that isn't uh, overcrowded by tons of people doing it, but finding an opportunity. And, yeah, exactly. And uh, making yeah. the most of it, right? Yeah. So, that's, so I remember talking to I won't say the name of the lawyer, but he's a long time. He's passed away now, but he was. A, I remember. I'll never forget the conversation. I went to. Morris Martin law firm here in town is another very well respected firm knows of counsel, which means you basically bring in your own business. Yeah. And so, which is fine, but it was, they were gracious to have me there and they were a great firm. And so I was able to build my practice up there, but I remember sitting in my office there one day and I was talking to this, this uh, top senior lawyer at Hall Estill law firm here in town, one of the top firms. And uh, he's like, what are you doing now? Because he was that kind of guy. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, Pat, I'm, I'm practicing law. I've got a law practice. What? Because I just come out being mayor, you know, within the three months before that. Yeah. And he's like, you're, you're building your practice back up? I said, oh, my gosh. Good luck with that. <laughs> That's hard. Really? Think about it because you lose all your clients. Yeah. Because you're mayor. Yeah. And they're like, I need a lawyer. He's not available anymore. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to find somebody else. And they find somebody else, they'll stick with them. They're not going to just jump back to me. Yeah. But um, over time, they did, really. And uh, so I was always having a very nice, wide, varied practice. I was with them, and I went off um, and with a friend, old-time family friend, Brett Swab, and 
and um, had our own practice together. We weren't partners, but we shared space. And but mine was uh, practice was was good enough to make a good living. Mm-hmm. And so I did rebuild it. And you know I did have to. I mean I really didn't have a choice. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a choice where I could not do anything. And I think that's ninety nine point nine percent of the population. I mean, I would hope that's the case. That yeah. not, no one's is who is physically and mentally able to be out contributing to society. I can't imagine them not doing that. But in my situation, you know, I think we still have you know we still had Billy at home, or the youngest. You know, I still have three kids mm-hmm. and a wife. You know, I have bills. Yeah. You know, so what did I know how to do? Be a lawyer. Yeah. Practice law. I had learned how to do that by then. Yeah. Yeah. So you get back into that, and then uh, you know, want to start winding it down, but you're uh, you're obviously now a judge, which mm-hmm. you mentioned before. So you've been doing that for a while. Well, let's kind of touch on you touched on your family, your kids. You know, what has it meant to be a husband and father to them, and what are the things that are most important to you? Well, you know, um, I want to go back to the politics for a minute because politics okay. does take you away from your family. Yeah. You know, when guys uh, and ladies say, I'm leaving office of Congress or whatever because I want more time with my family, and I said that when I left the DA's office. You know, um, of course, practice law didn't necessarily translate like I thought it would. Because yeah. I wasn't, I hadn't been in the, the high level of practice law until I went to normal event. But, um, my years as mayor, my girls were both the same grade because they were so close in age. They basically ended up in the same class. So when they were in ninth grade, they were both in ninth grade. And when I started the mayor's job, they were both ninth graders. And when I finished it, they both were graduating. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, you know, I didn't get home till nine o'clock at night yeah. on any given day as mayor. And I probably didn't wind down because I had to get ready for the next day. And usually, I'd get up pretty early to go to breakfast or something or a speech the next morning or meeting. And so, I, you know, those four years went really fast. And uh, I hate to say it, but I kind of look back and miss those four years with my girls. Um, because that's an important time of life, mm-hmm. in ninth and twelfth grade. But I know Kathy Fendwell, my grand, both grandmas and parents were around back then. But the point is, politics really, you better think about it does, um, People want to see strong family people in office, generally speaking, at least in Tulsa, they do. I think in Oklahoma, they do. And um, I think it means a lot to them to see that, that as a family person, you've got to realize the impact on your family. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, the criticisms. That, yeah. I mean, it's hard for kids. That, and I didn't have a lot of that where, you know, I was critic. My kids really kind of went on and did their thing, they did their school. I mean, I didn't have to go home at night and find them crying about what some guy on the radio had said about that because they didn't really follow all that stuff that way. Yeah. They just didn't. I'm glad they didn't, quite frankly. But like I said earlier about Kathy, you know, my marriage, we've been married 38 years, and um, marriage isn't easy either. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful institution. It's God-blessed and God-ordained, and, and, uh, and it should be because it is a, a, a compact you make to support each other no matter what. Mm-hmm. Kathy's always done that. In fact, she's, you know, the first one to criticize me, but she's the first one to defend me. Yeah. If that makes sense, it's probably a good saying. You know, your loved ones should be the first ones to criticize you when appropriate and within reason. Mm-hmm. And the first ones to praise you and support you and defend you. So Kathy's always that. So I think, and but we've always... 
I mean, I came from a close family. Uh, we still had a lot of fun and you know, with the kids growing up. And I kind of, I look back, it's kind of interesting, you know, you take so many pictures and stuff and your kids are little in video. Yeah. And uh, I wish our video was as good back then as it is now. Yeah. It was fair enough. It was Sony cassette eights, right? Uh-huh. But we, Kathy has been clearing out a lot of photo albums and stuff out of the you know, closets and things. and. So I've had the chance to look through a lot of them, and you really start, and a lot of them include you, and your mother and father, yeah. and your brother, and um, you look back on all those times, and, and you realize, God, you know, we really had a lot of good times with any of the hard times, and any of the setbacks, and mm-hmm. we still are very blessed, and you kind of forget how great your family life really was yeah. when you get away from it for a while. And then as they grow, as your kids grow, then you get to a point where all you want for them is the best education they can get, the best job they can get. Mainly you want, so they can um, support themselves and be successful. You want that in your children. You always want that, I think. I do. And um, you want to see them with people mm-hmm. that, that are good people. So if they get married, be married to a good person yeah that's going to take care of them and support them just like they'll take care of them and support them yeah you know our, my marriage is i think has been a, a perfect example because kathy's always worked she works to this day mm-hmm. works at juvenile court and has for years she worked for the oklahoma Engine defense system for years she developed her own. one of the things that really attracted me to her was her independence actually it was her um, self uh, her own professional life and track that she was on. Yeah. It always kind of felt like, you know, no matter what happens to me, I'll feel good because I think she's always going to be able to support herself. Yeah, it's very self-driven and motivated. Yeah, and so we've had that really team effort raising our kids. I mean, when the kids were babies and you have to be up all night, you know, we, I mean, I hope most couples do, but we figured out a pretty simple solution. This is your night. Mm-hmm. So I know that I get to sleep all night. Yeah. Because I don't have to get up because you're getting up with the baby when the baby cries. Yeah. So, I mean, we just always have to get, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so you know you're going to get a good night. At least yeah. you're going to night. You're going to get a really good night's sleep. Uh-huh. So you're so tired from being up the night before. Uh-huh. But, no, I mean, I, I think our family life has been as good as it could have been with all the public involvement. And, and it gets to things like this. Like going out to dinner. You know, when I was in office. You, you think I ever had... You think I ever took the kids and my wife to dinner anywhere where we weren't interrupted. Yeah. No way. You might say, well, maybe you should have gone out. Well, I mean, but sometimes you're going to go out. Yeah. Right? (laughs) So you go out, and it's not that you don't, but see, again, it gets back to being a public officer, official, and and servant. And you're you're a servant. That means you give up Mm -hmm. that time at the table for 10 minutes when the person comes up. And says they only want to talk to you for a minute, and it turns out to be twenty. Yeah. And they tell you that, um, uh, yeah, that's, that was, that's the usual. <laughs> one quick question, or just one minute. Uh-huh. <laughs> but that's where you, your grace and your graciousness has to come to the surface. Mm-hmm. And you're, are you real or not real? Are you fake or not fake? If you're real and you're not fake, you're gonna listen to whatever that person says, even though they're interrupting your family. Mm-hmm. And they really might not appreciate it. You know, and that's just the way it goes. Yeah. And, you know, I really think that you take each challenge as it comes and you deal with it. And like I said, um, 
leadership and deal with it, it means solving the problem that's in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. Well, real quick, we'll go through the little fire round here. Okay. Yeah. Ask you a few questions. You can just re- respond. I, I saw those, but I didn't think I'm real through real quick. That's okay. Real well. Well, that's the point. We're going to put you on the spot. Okay. So risk means. Uh, risk means taking a chance when there's no certain conclusion. Okay. In other words, your risk is putting yourself out there on whatever it is. It could be investing in a rental house. Mm-hmm. You're taking a risk. Yeah that you're going to get the return you want to get. A lot of people your age look at things like that. That's risk. Yeah. I'm taking a risk. I think there's a lot of risk in business. There's risk in life. Running for office. Absolutely. I mean. There's risk in being honest. Mm-hmm. Yes, That's absolutely. what I haven't thought about. You know, being honest with your loved ones about whatever it is you need to be honest about. You're taking a risk that it will offend them, a risk that they're going to be angry, a risk that, yeah. you know, but it will work out. Yeah. I think so. Awesome. Favorite sports team? Well, growing up in Tulsa, um, people need to realize in those years there wasn't cable TV in my day in middle school and <laughs> even high school. Cable TV in Tulsa came around right after that. You know, but there was NBC, ABC, CBS, and PBS. And that was it. And um, CBS was the only one that had the NFL before the AFL. And then um, the way they did it back then was whatever team you saw your regional team so we saw the Cowboys the Dallas Cowboys now why we didn't see the Kansas City Chiefs I don't know because it's about equal distance you'd be a lot happier right now if there was Kansas City yeah I would be <laughs> but I had some good years in Dallas <laughs> okay. but I watched the Ice Bowl as a little boy you know the Ice Bowl <laughs> the famous Ice Bowl but Dallas was was great and then so the Cowboys you know it's been a long dry spell and my kids grew up you know, like most kids, they'll, live, they'll grow up like their parents' teams, and my kids are no different. Yeah. And St. Louis Cardinals in baseball, and the New York Knicks in basketball. They don't know much about that, but that was my Clyde Frazier story. Okay. <laughs> so there we go, my favorite teams. Yeah. Service means. It's been a long, dry run for the Knicks, too. For the Knicks? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really, really long. Yeah. 71 was that championship. Yeah, you had some good years, and then right. the last, the last exactly. few have not that been so good. Term, yeah. uh, service means. Uh, service means putting others before yourself. Okay. Whether it's your spouse or your friends, or and it's not an easy thing because we are, as human beings, I think somewhat self-centered to begin mm-hmm. with. Survival, you know. I think it's just ingrained in our DNA. Yeah. To look out for ourselves first, and it's not really a selfish thing. I think it's almost a biological thing. But service then means putting that aside or having the ability to put that aside and really help others that are in need. And I really think that's one of the number one missions in life. And I'm not saying I'm perfect at it. Yeah. I'm saying that I think it is what we should strive for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, best place you've ever traveled to? Uh, let's see. Not a, I'm not a world traveler. Um, so I can't tell you about a lot of exotic uh, overseas places. You know, we've been to France shortly, but every trip we take like that, we've rushed it, and it just hasn't been as good as it should have been. Uh-huh. But uh, I just have to say, um, we go to Colorado on a regular basis. You know, we are, we've had kids there. 
but I just don't, I like the beach, but I still don't think there's any place better than the mountains. Yeah, Colorado? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good, that's a mm-hmm. good, uh, good place. And I know there's a lot of other people that feel the same way. Yeah. <laughs> I see them all over the place. Yeah. Uh, it all comes down to. Oh, boy. It all comes down to. Well, I do believe, as part of my faith, that it's all going to come down to you and God at the end. And as I get older, I believe that more and more. And I think that's what happens with older people. That's why you see them sometimes change your ways. They start all of a sudden volunteering their John 316 and they never had before. Yeah. Because when it all comes down to it, I think they realize that. Mm-hmm. And then what am I going to answer to? Yeah. I mean, what is, I mean, there's a, yeah, I think it's a good closer here. There's a, you know, they have all the, you go to YouTube and see all these people that say they've had the near-death experiences. It's a whole big field of its own. And uh-huh. It's a whole big thing of its own. But um, I, and so I've watched some of those those interviews with people that say they've had them. Yeah. They range from doctors to, you know, all sorts of people. And they seem consistent in a lot of them. And I'm not saying I believe in or don't believe in or whatever, or that those people really didn't go see parts of heaven or not. But there was one guy that said, you know, um, he went through all these tunnels, all the things you usually hear about. See, he said, "Well, and then there was Jesus." And then Jesus said to me, "I think his name was um, Jim." And then the first question he said, "Jim, tell me what you've done with your life." Boy, I, you know, and I thought, "That's it." You know, you, now, what are you going to tell him mm-hmm. if you believe in that, or if you believe in? If you leave Jesus, then what are you going to tell him when he asks you that in your, yeah. after, in your afterlife? And um, so what does it come down to? It comes down to what is your story? What are you going to say about your life that you did that was good? And how are you going to explain the things that you did that were bad? Because everybody does do that. Because again, back to the basic thing, we're human beings. Mm-hmm. We're not perfect beings. Yeah. And uh, we all have faults. And we all fall short. I think these are biblical things. I'm not trying to be so biblical. Yeah. But I do believe that's that's the end of it is um, how you treated others. And I think like with my granddad, I mean, that's a classic example of um, always treating everyone the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, the last one in the fire round is, um, do you have any, maybe one or two people that you met um, that you admired from afar that you got to meet that you really admired? I think most of the people that, you know, as mayor, you get to meet a lot of interesting people. Like, sure. we, you know, um, James Taylor came here and played at the Civic, the Civic Center before it was redone. And um, my wife and I went down and she and brought her old albums, you know, Sweet Baby James album or whatever. Yeah. So we got to go down and meet him. There was some cool, and he signed the album, you know, we got to do some cool things like that. And I'd always loved James Taylor. I always loved his music. Um, there were some others like that, just famous people. But I think that, again, the most important people in my life were the people that I consider mentors. And that would have been Robert Henry, the Attorney General, who hired me originally. David Moss, who hired me a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Tom Gilbert was the Chief Prosecutor in the DA's office, later became a district judge for 14 years. And in fact, I took his docket. He retired, and I ran for that office. Mm-hmm. It was open seat. Yeah. So really, I think it's more important to the people that I met that really 
made a difference in my life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a certain piece of advice um, that you've thought is the best piece of advice you've ever received that you'd share to someone maybe who's, you know, maybe towards the end of their career or even towards the beginning of their career? I got to tell you, there's, um, well, I do remember um, when I became a special judge, it was an appellate judge, John Reef. He's now retired in Oklahoma Supreme Court Justice. But I remember going to tell him thank you for writing a letter of reference for me. And he said, Bill, you don't need to thank me. He said, what you need to do is whenever somebody asks you throughout your life to do something like that for them, you do it. Mm. You know, just that kind of advice and from wise people along the way and really made my life what it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So this podcast is called Building Excellence. What does building excellence mean to you? I think everything we've talked about um, is involved in building excellence. I think it's, um, and there are some poets I've heard in the last two days that I think maybe people know about more than I've heard about. One is like, um, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. You know uh-huh. that one? Yeah, yeah. I didn't hear it until like yesterday. Some lady really, on the radio. Yeah. And I yeah. guess it's a motivational theme, but yeah. it really resonated with me. And then I heard another person on the radio the last couple of days. And uh, this, she says she does this show, and she says it's called uh, Live Your Masterpiece. Live your masterpiece. And I thought, that is really cool. Because mm-hmm. think about that. God has given each person their own masterpiece to paint and yeah. live. And that gets back into, if you believe, does God have a plan for each person and mm-hmm. what he really wants to see you do with your life? And and why are some people, like my brother, so good fixing a car but not so good with words? Yeah. Why am I so good, in my mind, with words yeah. and not so good at fixing cars? And yeah. then something's going on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate it. It was great. My pleasure. Hey everyone, it's Bailey Miles. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We hope you found value in the show. And if you enjoyed it, we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend, subscribing on Apple or Spotify podcast, writing a quick review, or leaving a five-star rating. When you do that, it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories and help them build excellence in their life, leadership, and legacy. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email. It's bailey at baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.